Hello, and welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and holiday edition means a good time to catch up on some reading. So much good reading. Um, we're going to catch you up on everything that we have each been reading individually, and then we're going to talk about our shared read. And Joe, why don't you go first? Don't forget, we've got a group reread that we're going to talk about, too. So, there you go. With that out of the way, I, uh, I was a little all over the place this time with Deliver Me From Nowhere, The Making of Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska by Warren Zanes. That's a line from the song Open All Night on the album Nebraska. One of the creepiest covers of a book ever. It really is. It's this bizarre, unsettling picture that you can look at for about two minutes before you notice in the corner of Springsteen's floating disembodied head. Um, but then that's the album Nebraska when Springsteen as the, yeah, you, you just saw it. Oh, it's terrible. As, as the you know biggest star arguably in rock and roll is like, you know, I've proven I can do that. Now let's do a creepy album full of demo recordings of introspective, moody songs that uh, somehow will also sell. But uh, Warren Zanes captures the period really well and the man really well. Springsteen not only talked with him about the album, but went back to the bedroom in the rented house where he had recorded the entire album um, and made Warren Zanes take a picture of him, which appears in the book, funny enough. <laughs> Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. It was insightful rock criticism uh, and a, a welcome look at an album that probably doesn't get talked about enough. Now you talked about this book a lot while you were reading it, so I know it must have been a good one. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, again, kind of almost participatory journalism. Zane's playing his cards uh, close to the vest early, comes out and, and tells the story of the night that he played with Bruce Springsteen, which, let me be honest, <laughs> if I ever played with Bruce Springsteen, I'd tell everybody that story, opening everything, no matter what you ask me about. So, <laughs> Anyway, good book. Glad I read it. It's a new one and one worth checking out. Then, aided by my daughter's love of Dave Barry, we had a couple of Dave Barry titles. You Can Date Boys When You're 40, which is a collection of columns, not entirely about parenthood, as he would remind you, uh, but somewhat about parenthood, but somewhat also about whatever random thing came to Dave Barry's mind. And we listened and laughed a good deal. And then we also did his brief book, The Shepherd, the Angel, and Walter, the Christmas Miracle Dog, which I would analogize to uh, Greatest Christmas Pageant Ever. It's got that same kind of feel. It's a throwback story, uh, which seems to be a very thinly veiled Portrayal of young Dave Barry and uh, about 1960. And just a, a feel-good, fun story. Yeah, it wasn't Christmas, but we had about an hour in the car, and it was about an hour long, so we listened to it. You all listened to that while I was out of town, and then you have all been quoting lines from it ever since I came back, and I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, as is not unusual for the Reverend Barry. And then... I started a, a new reading challenge. Great, you think. He's still mired in books about William Howard Taft. But uh, <laughs> I looked up Esquire magazine a couple years ago had done a column on the 100 greatest baseball books. Now, I've read probably half of them, maybe a little more. But I also just started going down the list and reading all the ones I hadn't, which was easy because the first one I had not read, a book called Prophet of the Sandlots, Journeys with a Major League Scout by Mark Weingardner. Uh, this book was written about the late 1980s, and Weingardner goes around with this veteran scout from the Philadelphia Phillies. Tony Lucadello is the guy's name. 
and he really gets to know Tony and his quirky personality and how he has been in baseball for all these years. Kind of the subtext of the book is that Lucadello, by his count, some people have disputed his count, at that point had signed 49 players who had gone on to the major leagues, and he was waiting for number 50. And late in the book, indeed, number 50 does get called up, and a couple more of his guys made it. Um, a really interesting baseball story from the standpoint that a lot of people don't think about, which is the guys in the stands scouting all of these players. Lucadello, who's like 75 years old, is this great grandfatherly character. Um, the, the book has kind of a tragic surprise ending that I don't want to give away if you've never read it, but entirely worth seeking out. A fascinating book. Uh, I wish I had known about this when it came out because it was in the era when young me was reading everything about baseball he could find, but mm -hmm. I had never heard of this, much less read it. And it I'm sounds glad like a I good did. find now. It is, it is. And uh, so, you know, it was a rich uh, bunch this time, uh, kind of off the beaten path for me. You got one sports book, which only kind of really was a sports book, uh, and two Dave Berries, and then Bruce Springsteen. So, not bad. Particularly when you add in the Common Read, which you have read, and we will digest, talk about, whatever you want to say. But first, I have a hunch you read a book or two during this two-week interval. Yeah, I read several. Lots of good summer reading going on. Um, the first one I read was called Mrs. Nash's Ashes by Sarah Adler. And I read this book because it was a road trip book. The main character is trying to take some of the ashes of her former landlord and best friend, Mrs. Nash, down to, I think it's Key West, um, so that she can give them to Mrs. Nash's former lover before this woman passes away. So um, that in itself was kind of an interesting premise. But the road trip part comes in because flights get canceled, everything goes crazy, and she ends up having to take a road trip from Washington, D.C. down to Key West with a man that she vaguely knows through her ex-boyfriend who she is trying to get over. So lots of hijinks ensue, and that's what that book is about. Then I read The More, or the More of Less by Joshua Becker, which is a really short book on minimalism. I talked to you about this a little bit because... Minimal, minimalism is really the kind of thing that if you're going to do a lot with it, we would both need to be on the same page about it. <laughs> <laughs> but you haven't read this book yet. Um, it's really not talking about getting rid of so much of your things as it is prioritizing what actually matters to you and then just kind of releasing the rest of it. It doesn't mean that you have to run through your house with garbage bags and throw away everything that you haven't touched in six months. It's, it really is more about prioritizing and, and figuring out what matters most to you. While I read this book, I actually did tackle a couple of projects that made my room feel a whole lot better. You liked it too. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a going thing now. Marie Kondo is... A, yeah, hers is different, but yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, this is kind of a cultural thing now, probably because we're all getting so much stuff and clutter and... You know, less is arguably more sometimes. Yeah. So. Joshua Becker approaches it through the lens of the Christ, his Christian faith, too. And so he looks at kind of like what our attitude toward things is supposed to be and kind of rightly ordering our minds um, to, toward what stuff, is, the value of it's really supposed to be. So mm -hmm. I thought it was a really interesting book. And he made a lot of really good points. 
you read it sometime, then we'll maybe talk about it here. All right, then I read The Collected Regrets of Clover by Mickey Brammer. Clover is a death doula. So she is um, hired usually by the family of people who are dying to help them ease their way through um, I mean, is this a, whatever comes a common thing? I, I that, that word has a completely opposite context in yeah, my knowledge. Yeah, because usually a doula is a birth person. Right. Right. I have no idea. I have not so researched it. So this may be a it. fictional conceit or it may be a real one. I have not researched it okay. beyond this book. Okay. Um, in this book, it is presented as a real thing like that other people also do. Um, but her, the way that she handles this is that she, so anyone who's dying, she tries to know them and then tries to, whatever it is that they need. Sometimes she'll um, help them sort through things, get rid of things. Sometimes she'll help them have hard conversations. Sometimes she'll just listen to them. Whatever it, she can do to give them a peaceful passage. Um, she has come into this career because death has been such a huge part of her life. Her parents died when she was tiny. She's recently lost the grandfather who raised her. Um, it's kind of a way for her to help other people since this is the way that she understands the world, but it has also left her to a very, very lonely life. Mm -hmm. And so this is kind of the way that she learns how to balance the, the death that she sort of immerses her in, herself in all the time with the life that she really does actually desperately want to start living again. So I thought it was a really unique concept and a really interesting book. Then I read The Happy Life of Isadora Bentley by Courtney Walsh. This one was about a socially awkward, introverted young woman who I feel like so many people, um, so many women of my generation would relate to this sweet, sweet girl. Mm -hmm. um, she is also very isolated. Her um, mother never really valued who she was. She doesn't have a ton of friends. Um, she immerses herself in her work. And on the night of her birthday, she goes to buy herself a whole bunch of junk food and celebrate by herself. And she sees a tabloid with an article in it that um, promises, I think it was 31 ways to make yourself happy. And it infuriates her because she's a researcher and um, a <laughs> <laughs> she works in psychology and she feels like this is, I think it's psychology. Right, she does a lot of research and she feels like this is a flawed premise that there's no way this could be right. And she decides to buy the tabloid. She has to prove Do the wrong. experiment, yeah. conduct all the research, like write it all up just like she would with any other research and prove it wrong. And of course you see where this is going with this book. And it was just a really, really sweet summer read. Next, I read Create Anyway by Ashley Gad. This is a book that I've started, I started reading on Mother's Day, and I've just slowly been reading it ever since, because Create Anyway is written for mothers. Um, Ashley Gad wrote it as a way to try to encourage mothers in their very busy lives to figure out that they are creating more than they think they are, and to give themselves the gift of valuing the creative work that they do, whether it is um, cooking or creating a home or writing or painting, make time for it and value it and, and keep it going, even if it doesn't look like you thought it would. So it was a really, really good and very encouraging book. I read Love Theoretically by Allie Hazelwood. I've talked about her a couple times on here. She wrote The Love Hypothesis, which was one of my favorites a couple of years ago. She writes STEM-inspired romances. I was going to say this feels very scientific. Exactly. Yes. So it's always women in the STEM field at some kind of university. This is what all of her books are about. Um, trying to fight the patriarchy, the white male heavy STEM lords of all of these universities. <laughs> STEM lords. 
um, and find her place. And then there's always some guy who is in STEM who she falls in love with. Um, very much open door romances here. But I really like the, the STEM kind of idea here with women trying to make their way in a role that is typically reserved for men. The last one that I read is Four Essential Studies by Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher. And this is an education book. It talks about um, how to organize a school year if you're in the classroom with essays, with poetry, with book clubs, and then with digital composition. It goes through a lot of things with each of these. I found it very valuable being a person who works in education, but also I just found it valuable as a person who likes to write. Looking at kind of how you break down um, the study of each of these different areas and how you start learning to create your own within these. I have, even before I thought that I would be in education, writing has always been a big deal to me. And I always liked reading these kinds of things that sort of broke down different ways, different concepts, and different ways that you could build the kind of thing that you wanted to build with words. Yeah, it seemed interesting and full of uh, novel things that speak to the educator and the reader within you. So It's good stuff. Yeah. Well, the shared book was new to me and familiar to you, but uh, the author was familiar to both of us, Harrison Scott Key's How to Stay Married. Uh, Harrison's prior books, The World's Largest Man, which is a sometimes hilarious, sometimes heartbreaking story about his father and coming to terms with him. And who Are You Again, which was his first book I read, which was about being a writer, which... It's Congratulations, Who Are You Again. Yeah, Congratulations, Who Are You Again, you're right. Um, that book really spoke to me. There were, there were stories, you know, you read it first and you would read me things and it would really resonate with me. Um, there, there is <laughs> no highlight creating a book and sending it out in the world, there is no low like the thud that that book lonesomely makes as it plods along and sells a few copies to a few people. His books sold a few more to a few more people. He's a lot funnier than I am, for one thing. Uh, but some of the stories, uh, yeah, really, really hit home with me. Uh, my, my variation of this that I always like to tell was one day I was doing a book signing somewhere and it is kind of a slow book signing. I only sold a couple books. And uh, this little old lady walks right in the door. And, of course, they've got my co-author and I seated right in the front where they like to, to seat you. It's kind of like accosting people. If you can get them to look at you and feel sorry, they might buy a book. And we make eye contact. And she starts my way. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, selling a book here. And she comes over and says, young man, where are the Danielle Steele books? <laughs> I said they're in the back, ma'am, <laughs> and, and did not sell a book. But yes. Well, we're not going to talk about that book today, But we're though. far afield from <laughs> that, anyway. <laughs> it's a great story, but yes, we're going to talk about his book, How to Stay Married. What we like about Harrison Scott Key's books, that he is an, just a perfect mix of funny and then poignant and deeply, deeply meaningful. And this one is the most personal one of all of his books, because this one is the story of how he stayed married. Yeah, it it, uh, it balances those things more than the others. Some of the particularly congratulations was kind of like 90% funny and 10% serious. The father book I felt was more like 75-25 or 70-30. But this one, yeah, it, it might actually lean on the serious end of the sheet when all is said and done. That's not to say it's not side-splittingly funny at times. But it goes deep and it goes dark and it's about 
marriage and how screwed up it can get and what a difficult thing it can be to unravel once it is screwed up. So here's the premise. Harrison and his wife, Lauren, had been married for a long time. They had three little girls whom he always gives insane names in his books. He doesn't tell their real names. Um, And this is when she tells him that she's been cheating on him and that she wants a divorce. And so this is the story of how they split and came back together and split Mm -hmm. and came back together. Um, And woven through all of it is the story of how Harrison came to examine himself to find out where he also had had failings in this marriage, and then also to examine his faith and to figure out what role it had been playing in his life and what role a faith that was truly vibrant and useful to him would play in his life. He talks about that much more than he did in his other two books, and I mean, he would kind of hit on it sometimes in the others, but yeah, it... It's funny because you get the idea that his faith sustains him. Yeah, it it really, it's a book about a marriage and the breakup and the the reconstruction of that marriage. But ultimately, in many ways, it's a book about him finding himself, um, which is kind of a common thread across his books. But this one feels much more spirited, difficult, internal. You just hurt with him and you laughed with him and you're really rooting for everybody in it. I cannot even imagine what it would be like, first of all, to live through this, but then to put it all down on paper. But this is how he processes his events. But to put it out on paper and then to hand that out into the world, just what a vulnerable thing. And what a true gift this is for everybody who reads it because it it really is um, a tribute to marriage and a tribute to the kind of gritty love that it really takes to keep going with the same person day after day after day. Yeah, uh, it's worth noting, you know, he says at the outset, he wrote this and gave it to his wife and said, you read it. If you don't want it out, I'm going to burn it. And she liked it, and she had a few suggestions, and ultimately she wrote a chapter, which was a surprising, unusual twist that I thought worked beautifully. Um, Her chapter, he said elsewhere that that he thought it was the, the truest, most profound thing that he'd really been involved with uh, as a writer, her chapter, and, and I think he's being kind, but there are moments when I'm like, yeah, he, he's not so far off on that. She, uh, the apple didn't fall far from the marital tree on the writing with this pair. Uh, she she well, I, tells her story uh, well, too. I feel like they both really worked very hard for truth as close as they could get it in this book. Yeah, in some of his other books, there are a lot of moments where it's just, it's, it's so side-splittingly hilarious. And you're like, he's, he's being flippant on purpose to create greater humor here. Mm-hmm. In this book, while it is, again, still totally hilarious, you get the sense that he is, he, he's really, really reaching as hard as he can to see things and to explain things the way they actually were, to be him um, in this marriage, in these situations. And I want to follow up off something you said, which was just the, the, the value in the honesty here. The difficulty of marriage is one of those things that I think people intuitively know that it can be hard, but nobody really talks about it. And certainly nobody talks about it in a fashion as detailed and as orderly and ultimately this meaningful. So 
you know, I, I definitely read this book and think, whew, man, I'm glad I've never had to find myself in the situation that he's in. And yet, I read the book and think, on any given day, any of us can find ourselves in the situation he's in. And that candor, that honesty, that openness uh, is something that will outlive the book on the shelf, I'm sure. Well, what you say is one of the things, I'm oh, sorry, it's one of the things that he um, mentions in the book, the fact that at weddings, the officiant will often say, oh, it's going to be hard. You're going to have such <laughs> hard times. And, and you see people yeah, on yeah. Facebook who are like, oh, happy anniversary. We've had so many ups and downs. That just doesn't reflect. What it really is like to to be married to the same person for so long, not the joy of it or the hardness in True. it. True. And I feel like this book gets to both of those, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's important. Yeah, and still enjoyable. So if if you can write a book that's important and still, you know, you're not just smacking yourself on the head for reading it, then then you've probably done some important work and. The things he has to say about faith and friendship, I would say, mm. fall just under that in terms of importance. Right there, alongside of it, uh, he uh, he definitely did a brave thing here, and it's it's a triumph. It's just one of those books that uh, at the end, you you. I would compare it in some ways to going to see one of those movies like Twister or something, where at the end you walk out of the theater and you're like, man, I've been through a thing. But at the end, you're a little wiser for having been through it. But And listen, too, because I read this book, and it's going to be one of my top ten of the year. It really will be. Very probably for me, yeah. But before I even got done with it, I started reading it out loud to you. So while you get to the end of it and you're like, oh, yeah, but I've already read it twice, y'all. It's that good. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did. So Entirely true. Well, Harrison Scott Key, uh, just tip my hat to him for How to Stay Married. Uh, or you. if you want something a little bit lighter, congratulations, Who Are You Again? He's good. Or if you want to split the difference, The World's Largest Man is good. I love all three of his books. This one might be the best. I but... think it is. And if you want just maybe a little insight into how his mind works, Follow him on Instagram. <laughs> if you still want to read his books, good luck. No, I'm kidding. No, he's, he's wonderful. He's really funny. Okay, so coming up in the not distant future, we are doing something unusual here. We're doing a reread in preparation for a new read. We are indeed. Because? So Richard Russo is one of our favorite authors, and his new book is coming out July 25th, which I didn't know until yesterday. Um, and who told you this you pivotal, vital information? What source of literary? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, um, he doesn't really usually do a series except with this one little town and set of characters. I don't even know what you call it. The <laughs> Fool series? I'm not sure. The Fool series. I would have said the Sully series, but, <laughs> okay, but Sully's, Sully Sully's gone. Um, so. Anyway, so the third one is coming out. And each of these books can stand on their own. They are not mm -hmm. really... That's why it feels kind of weird to say they are a series. Um, but we're going to read the one that came before this. Again, it's called Everybody's Fool. So that's what we're going to be working on over the next two weeks. We'll read it and we'll talk to you about it. And then once we get the new one, which is called... Oh, I can't remember what it's Somebody's called. Somebody's Fool? I think it's Somebody's Fool. When we get that it. one, then we will also be talking... Probably in August, we'll be talking to you about that one. Yeah, yeah. We've got a... 
special guest who's going to come on with us in the interim working out details don't believe in the power of the jinx so i'm not going to say anything the new book is somebody's fool all right good so we'll we'll share more about everything upcoming later on but if you've never read richard russo then you are in for a treat he is one of our all-time favorite authors i believe i've read everything he's ever written i'm close on that straight you've man empire falls i think you've read all the novels i don't think you've read the short stories in the memoir no i know i haven't read the short stories um, but anyway, anything that you want to pick up by him is 100% worth it. But if you haven't read anything by him yet and you want to read with us, then grab Everybody's Fool. It is a standalone novel. It's absolutely fantastic, set in a little town in the Northeast. Um, and we'll be talking about it with you in two weeks. Even though it is the sequel, in broad air quotes, to Nobody's Fool, you don't have to have read no. the first one. Although, if you want to, go back and read that too. We're not going to do that, but... You can get extra points and catch things that we probably will miss in two weeks when we talk about Everybody's Fool. Yep. If you have any thoughts about any of the books we talked about today or what we have coming up or any suggestions for anything that you think we would like to read, please let us know. You can get in touch with us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com, on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod, or on Twitter at pbackreaderspod. Thanks for listening. Always appreciate hearing from you. And wherever the summer takes you, I hope wherever that is that you find a way to read there. Pack a book. Enjoy it. 